This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the Rich Shields Golf Show podcast, everybody. I am your host. It's episode 139. It's open week, and I could not be any more excited. How are you doing, Guy? Are you well? I'd say I'm more excited. Let's, have, let's have an excited off. I'm I'm so... Throw a beer, mate, if you're excited. Launch excited. that across the room. I'm so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> just dent the table. I'm so excited <laughs> that, like... It's like, it's all built to this. This is it. The 150th Open at St. Andrews, the home of golf. So much drama, so much excitement. Who is going to be, you know what? Never ever before, ever, ever, ever in my life, thought so much about who's going to win it. Mm. But not in a point of like trying to work out. It's such a massive win, this one. Imagine winning the 150th at St. Andrews. Like you win majors, yeah, all well and good, right? Mm Mm-hmm. To win the 150th Open is just, like, astronomically huge. There was something, uh, I think it was Jack Nicklaus that said, you know, you've got to win the Open at St. Andrews to be a legend of the game or considered a great or whatever. Everyone might have different opinions on that, but this year it does feel like, I said, the 150 is ginormous, but the fact it's back at the home of golf, it's not been there for seven years, it does feel incredibly different. And like you said, on Sunday... Somebody's going to stand there on the Swilkin Bridge holding that jug like that, getting amazing pictures. Who will that be? It's unbelievable. Is it going to be Tiger? The weather, well, we'll see. The weather looks like it's going to be at least dry. There's going to be a couple of windy days, which St. Andrews definitely needs. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there could be some really low scores around there. Um, As you're listening to this podcast right now, me and Guy are driving up from from our home here in the northwest of England all the way to St. Andrews because we are going to be there from Tuesday to pretty much the you're there till the weekend I'm there over the weekend it's going to be electrifying the crowds the atmosphere the nightlife being able to see loads of people like to be able to see Tiger walking doing stuff I'd literally watch him do anything I think as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah pop, yeah okay um I think that's the thing with we've said this before and we'll say it till the cows come home the beautiful thing, the amazing thing, the intriguing thing with St. Andrews isn't just the golf course, it's the town. So at the Open, it's not just like you've got the golf and once it goes dark and the golf's finished, you go back to the hotel. You've got the nightlife, you've got the, the banter zones. You're going to be walking around your top off at half one in the morning, Easily. singing. Easily. I'll be doing that Eric Anders Lang, Lang shot from the, in front of the Dunvegan. Yes. Well, we, we got incredibly. Like, we've been lucky to do some amazing things. I, I've played with 
the old course with Tom Watson in reverse. I've hit shots from the old course hotel. I've played with with famous golfers. More time with Guy Charnock. More time with Guy Charnock. <laughs> but last week we got gifted something which could possibly top everything. We did. VIP passes to the Dunvegan pub. Wow. I mean, this. I, I hopefully there's not many of them around because that is... We doesn't matter how big the queue is. Doesn't Strolling. matter how busy it is. We can just wander up there, flash the badge. We're in. Pints on me. Guinness. Guinness on me. So it's going to be a really exciting week. If you are there, please come and say hello. Um, like it's that. Just going to be yeah. Come hello, hello. Uh, it's going to be mega. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, we've also this episode is a guest episode, so you'll notice on the time this is a long, long podcast today, it is. and we are also through this week going to be taking the podcast equipment up with us. Fingers crossed we're going to release some exclusive audio-only audio, audio only podcasts explaining our, and can des- describing our open experience while we're there. Well, we've said they're going to be audio-only, so I, they, they could potentially be five pints of Guinness Deep. There's no, that, that, that could happen for you. Uh-oh, easy. By 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we'll get a few podcasts out for you this week, but today's episode, we are joined by legend Adam Scott. Masters winner, 2013, one of the best golfers for such a long period of time, like 22 years. He turned pro in the year 2000 and obviously one of the best golf swings that's ever been seen, ever been, you know, he's known for how beautiful his golf swing is. He's a very, very nice man. Unbelievably nice man. One of the nicest guys we've ever met or filmed with. Yeah. In fact, I'd almost put him as number one spot so far. Yeah. And that's no disrespect to anyone else. He was just so brilliant with his time. We filmed a match at King's Barnes. That'll be coming very soon where I did a 10-shot challenge against him. I started 10 under par. He started level par. It was very, very windy. We had a fantastic match. That'll be coming very soon. Um, And he did this fantastic podcast. We filmed it in King's Barnes, which is an amazing place, by the way. Unbelievable golf course. We filmed it in King's Barnes in the locker room. Yeah, a bit weird. But it wasn't weird, though, was it? Because it was like like a fancy locker room. That was a locker room, but it... For most golf clubs, that would have been like a suite. It was unbelievable. And like you said, he, he came in and I was very starstruck because he was, like I said, he turned pro in 2000, 2001, I think it was. Um, I've literally grown up knowing who Adam Scott was. And what was married, some obviously research before the podcast, he's ended the year, every calendar year he's ended it, in the top 50 in the world since the year 2001, which is in 20 years at that elite level. It's outrageous. And, and one thing, I mean, he was an unbelievable gentleman. He was so good. And, and one thing I came away thinking is he had a spell, I think it was 2011, 2015, where he came like top 10 in 11 majors. So he was so, so competitive. But I'm actually so, so happy he has won a major because if he hadn't, he would have to go down as the best golf ever not to. And and nobody really wants that, obviously, title. And the fact he won the Masters, he's got that green jacket, he's going back every year, which we've come on to massively in the podcast for that dinner with the champions. He deserves that. He talks about his win, obviously, at Augusta in 2013, but he also delves quite deeply into his loss in 2012 at Royal Lytham, which I didn't know if it was going to be a bit of a touchy subject, but he he definitely touched on it. almost made him that, didn't he, I think? Now, one thing, before we got onto the actual podcast with Adam Scott, we've got a big announcement as well coming in a second, but one thing that we just wanted to make very clear, because I'm sure we're going to get it in comments and everything else, we are not investigated journalists. So we're not going in there to probe these guests and kind of, you know, make it awkward or, or try and get too much out of him. 
Um, it was a conversation. We wanted to dive into his historic past, his his future, what, what the game's going to look like. Now, little bits of that did touch on potential other tours, mm-hmm. but we weren't going to go in there and go, are you joining Liv? Yeah, are you yeah, joining, yeah. like... So there's not loads and loads of live talk in this because we felt we needed to respect his position. I think, yeah, you're right. If you want that kind of content, this isn't the right place. If you go to Sky Sports, go to, you know, these other media outlets, outlets who ask the really hard-hitting questions. And we have a guest on. We treat them like they are a guest. You know, we ultimately just are two golf fans who want to sit down with someone who we look up to and chat to. We want to make them feel comfortable. And I think, yeah, there wasn't really much... About that, there, kind there was of stuff. a little point about how new golf pros are being motivated for the future, which he touches on, and that that was a few interesting points there. But again, it's up to him whether he joins, whether he doesn't. He give, didn't give us any indication at all. He just feel like that at the moment he loves playing golf competitively, yeah. and all his focus on was the Open because we filmed this last week, so he got in early, played at a dare Manor in the JP McManus Golf Day. He then jumped over on a, on his jet to uh, to Scotland, and he had he has preparation. And there's not out of all the people now, he is. I would absolutely love it if he won. Hundred percent. He, I mean, he's my new one of my favorites. <laughs> so but that's going to be really good. There was one thing in the podcast I said, which not a set annoyed me. That after I said it, I was kicking myself because he's played in the Open at St Andrews in the year 2000, 2005, 10, 15, and now twenty two. So he is he will have played in the Open five times at the old course. And I put that to him and said, surely that's the most of anybody in the field. And he went, oh, no, Tiger did 95 as well. And I went, oh, yeah. And I knew that because Tiger won the US Amateur in 90, I think it was four, five, and six. And obviously off the back of each of those got into the open. And as I said, I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that. So it was one of those little tiny things. I was like, oh. It's also, I saw today, I, I didn't know this either. Ian Poulter's done those five as well. Oh, has he? So he did 2,000. I only saw it today, 2,205, ah, 210, 215. And then you know, I forgot, one. by the way, I was listening to a really good podcast, um, Five Live, done about the open. I completely forgot, even though I was there in 15, that Rory missed out from breaking his leg, well, hurting his leg playing football. Oh, my God, yeah. Because he won the 14 at Hoylake, and then 15, yeah. he missed out for hurting it. I don't know if he broke his leg or just hurt his leg playing Literally football a few days with his before, friends. didn't he, or a week before? And that, what well, he was saying to him in this little interview, you know, did that kind of throw you off then? You know, you had such momentum oh at the time. Oh, my God, because that was his last major win. Yeah, 14 was his last one. Wow. Eight years with that one. We've mentioned this before, but it's incredible. And I think um, I'd love to see... I'd love to see Tiger win. My absolute dream would be Tiger win. I'd, I'd be honest, I don't think that's going to happen. And part of me has a feeling this could be when he bows out. I'd hate oh, to see it. No. Well, I'd love and I'd hate it. I'd hate to see it because I don't want Tiger to retire. I'd love to see it because I'll probably be there. Um, I'd love to see Adam Scott win after what a nice guy he is. But but also, it'd be really nice for Rory to get one. I think he is, you know, he's, co- he's a living legend, let's be honest. He's done such a good, you know, had such a good career so far. He's not won a major for eight years. To finally break his duck at the old course, that will be special. I'd say which golfer, though, I can't look past at the moment. It's not a big surprise, Xander Shoffley. Mm-hmm. He's just won Travellers, JP McManus, Scottish Open. He's going yeah. into the Open as like... That's some run. He's won three tournaments in a row. That's incredible. So, I mean, JP McManus, obviously, is like, it's only a two-day kind of bit of a charity hitting giggle, as they would call it. So this looks amazing, but the fact that he's he's going and he's in such great form, there's probably going to be a bit of fatigue there. But there's so many though. We said this last. We had a little bit of a, of a guess who we thought would do well, and I think I went with Scotty Scheffler. Who else did I go? I can't remember Rory and somebody else who's doing well, really well. I've changed my three now. Go on, who are you? I'm going Adam Scott, Adam Scott, Adam Scott, and Adam Scott. But, but, <laughs> but that's the thing though. Genuinely, you look at the names of the people that are playing. 
there's so many guys who could win it, and you won't be surprised if any of them won. So it's going to be so competitive, um, so exciting. I, I can't wait for it. There's, there's the slogan for this Open, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen this, is everything has led to this. And obviously you can say about any moment in time, every, everything in life has led to this moment, weirdly. But this does feel like everything really, you know, think of like old Tom Morris back in the day and, you know, when it was the the, the, the belt and it went to the claret jug and everything literally said the 150th. There's no bigger potentially in our lifetime. Hopefully it'll be no. the 200th, but who knows? Um, but yeah, it's it, going to be special. It just feels like there's no major that's ever had this buzz ever. No, not in my lifetime. So, excited about that. And like I said, Adam Scott's going to come on soon. But before we get to that, I've got a huge announcement. I have a brand new sponsor. I'm you might have noticed. <laughs> going to guess. A few, little, uh, a few little golden eagles dotted about. So, yeah, I have signed with Lyle and Scott, the clothing brand UK company. Um, as you guys have been on my journey with me, you noticed back in the kind of middle of 2020 that parted ways with Nike. And I've not signed with anyone since because none of the no right brand has come forward as of yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy to sign with Alan Scott. Really happy to work with them in the future. The clothing is phenomenal. Um, it's again similar idea to what I was. Why I didn't sign with Nike? You're not going to see me shoving it down your throat. So I'm going to be wearing the clothes, the hat, the apparel. Um, but that's kind of as far as it goes. Yeah, and I think what's great is that you you put the um, Instagram post on the other day announcing it. And what was really unique was there were so many comments going, oh my days, I love Lyle Scott. Um, there was quite a number of comments, it's great to see it coming back, because it was massive in England about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, and it really has got a resurgence now. But there's also a lot of comments, I'm guessing more from the US, maybe younger people who didn't know what the brand was, and that's quite unique, because over here, it's a really well-known, authentic golf brand. Obviously, Greg Norman won the Open, I believe, wearing yeah. the brand as well, so it's been around for years. But obviously, you were, and it'll get in front of a lot more different eyeballs. And I think it's going to do good things to the brand, and it's good gear. Yeah, it's re- it is really, really good gear. So um, you'll see me wearing it. Like I say, a lot of US guys were a bit confused about the brand, had not heard of it. But hopefully, that it's going to help the brand grow a little bit more in America. Um, it fits brilliantly. It looks stylish. It's modern. It's not too ridiculously pricey. That's a big thing. That is, I mean. Yeah, like the the gear, it's very good quality, but it isn't stupidly priced. And I think that's something that you, you kind of not owe to the audience, but if you're wearing stuff that is ridiculously overpriced, it's quite hard for people to sometimes swallow. That stuff isn't, but it's great quality. Yeah, And you know what? You, you've really slimmed down. You look Thank very you. good. Thanks, pal. I've been working hard, actually. You have? Been running a bit more this weekend and been working hard, eating healthy. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in even better shape and hopefully working out on my golf as well a little bit, trying to pick up some extra, Don't get too ripped. extra club head speed. I want to start getting really ripped. I've got to a point now where I'm like, okay, I'm definitely happier than where I was two or three months ago. And I'm thinking, hmm, what could happen next? <laughs> what could happen next? Little Who knows? Maybe a little... Uh, little push towards getting 40 trying to try and rip up but we'll see what happens so yeah big announcement lion scott be wearing it in all the videos wearing it in the podcast um and it's a very 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 nice gear <laughs> right without further ado what you've really been waiting for our sit down deep dive with adam scott in the locker room at king's barnes sit back relax enjoy this and enjoy the rest of the week for the open Uh, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. We yes. really do appreciate it. No worries. I know really you're a busy man. Uh, we're here in Scotland. Yeah. It's the week before the Open. Yeah. We're at a beautiful King's Barnes. Oddly enough, in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit weird. <laughs> but it's a very nice locker it room. It is. Look at this. Look at the windows, the natural light. 
and we're going to go out Definitely. and play some golf after this. Yeah. And it looks really, really, really windy. <laughs> <laughs> it's picking up, that's for sure. We're going to have a fun little match, which will be coming out on YouTube very soon. Um, but obviously, you've just flown in from Ireland after playing in the JP McManus Pro-Am. Yeah. Um, Adair Manor. You were just saying how ridiculously stunning it was. Oh, it's, it was a great event. Look, it was, it was unbelievable. Every, everything about it, uh, just phenomenal. And the condition of the golf course is just outrageous. I'm all, I almost want to see it to believe it. You said it was almost better condition than Augusta. Well, I, it could be the best condition course in the world, you know, on it. I think we, we need, we to, need go to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really do. We were debating coming this week, actually. We, yeah. we had an opportunity to come, but it didn't quite work out. But yeah, I think that's highly on the agenda. It yeah, it be. does look absolutely pure. Talking about what's looking unbelievable at the moment. Obviously, you're here for the Open Yeah. at St. Andrews, the home of golf. I had a little run around the golf course this morning. You had a wander out there as well. That's just a quick, that's just you, Rick trying to flex that this morning's done a 5k <laughs> run, by the way. Sorry, th- okay. there is a medal coming some point. You will there? post your medal for that run. <laughs> um, it looks phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. It looked really green. Yeah. Like way more. Obviously, it's been a, quite a wet yet sunny period mm. of time. So the, the golf course does look really, really green compared to when it can get burnt out. Yeah. What does what does Scotland, what does St. Andrews kind of mean to you? Well, this is a special one, isn't it? I mean, we've been delayed a couple of years going back uh, to St. Andrews. 2015 was the last time we were there. This is the 150th. It is St. Andrews, the old course, Claret Jug, <laughs> Open Championship. Um, it's the golf event of the year, really. Let's face it, it's the biggest event of the year. Do you do you love the golf course? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else like it, you know. A uh, lot of lot of crazy stuff going on that could never be replicated today, probably without someone being <laughs> hung for it. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's really wild stuff going on out there, but it works. Yeah, it's a golf course that if it was flat and or a quiet day, shall I say? It's very scorable. And if we see that in the open, there could be some outrageously low scores. But if you get a day like today where it's windy, it's, you were saying it's forecast to be quite windy, mm. and they can tuck some of the pins mm. and you can get they can get sneaky, yeah. it's not easy either, is it? No, it's not. I mean, the wind is the defense of most links, let's face it. Uh, you know, some are tougher than others, but the, there is so much room at St. Andrews to play uh, in the calm conditions, we've seen it. I mean, just even the last couple goes at St Andrews in the calmer conditions. Rory's shooting low numbers. I mean, it's right in his wheelhouse. He's got to be licking his chops coming up here to St Andrews and hoping for light winds. Um, but everyone is kind of playing that aggressive bomb game. And if it isn't windy, they're going to have to push the pins really, yeah. really close. And and I think they can. I think they can do it because green speeds aren't crazy around the links and uh, they can push them a yard or two closer to the trouble. And, and I think um, they probably should. I think we need we need a bit of a test out there. They almost can't get too fast the greens, can they, because of the wind? Yeah. Like suddenly the ball would be rolling all around the green, wouldn't they really, if it got them too fast? Yeah, absolutely. So that allows them to get pretty creative with where they can push the pins to. I mean, tucking them around the bunker edges, certainly on the first few holes going out, you know, a few over the bunker, it's just down slope yeah. from the bunker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you end up seeing guys putting from 45 feet all the time, 60 feet coming back. But but that's what they're going to need to do if it's not, not so windy. Hopefully there's a bit of wind and I think they don't have to do anything 
too creative at all. So this is just over a week before the Open starts. You've just arrived into Scotland now. What's yep. your kind of itinerary for the next few days? How do you kind of like to prep into Open Week? Yeah, this week before the Open is like one of my favourite weeks golfing-wise for me. Uh, I often come up early the week before and I like to all majors really, but especially the Open. Um, you know, Adjusting to playing the links is not that quick of an adjustment, at least for me. You know, we just play in the air and it's target golf and point and shoot. But if you can figure out how the ground can really help you uh, on the links, there's there's a moment in every round probably where you can be a bit creative and, and get it to where you need to be better than going up in the air and maybe bringing in some more trouble. So I spend this week like really challenging myself to kind of bring my uh, vision down to the ground a bit, play on the ground, use the ground and get a feel for how it is. Now, if it's a bit green and a bit slower, maybe a little bit less of that yeah. because it's not so fiery, you might might be able to control a bit better. But I still think even if it is a green links, yeah. that, you know, you've got to use the ground to your advantage where you can. So obviously this isn't your first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it five times you've done St. Andrews down the open? Did you do it in 2000? 2000 was my first major. I did the qualifiers. I went through the regional qualifier. I played in uh, somewhere outside Glasgow in the regional. Then I went to Loch Lomond and played the tournament at Loch Lomond. And then I came over here to uh, Leaven Links and played the 36-holer on the Monday and qualified for the Open. And had you just turned pro at that time? Yeah, it was like four weeks into being a pro. So it was a good... Nice oh, that's quite, that's story, quite that. cool. Yeah. I never knew that. That's quite yeah. cool. There can't be anybody else in the field then who's played the Open at St. Andrews more than you will have done because I don't think Tiger played in 95. Did he, he did. Oh, did he? He did, yeah. There I you think go, then. He so did he must be play. one more than you. Yeah. My buddy, um, Steve Webster, I think, was the low amateur. The reason I know is because he told me he was the low amateur that year <laughs> and Tiger was in the field. So oh, yeah, because he, yeah, he won the US, US amateur course. Yeah. He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Tiger has... But, you know, I'm up in that age bracket now where we're just old on tour. <laughs> I remember when I got on tour and, you know, around that time and come to the Open and I saw Fred Couples and he was maybe 42 years old and I'm like, oh, wow, he's so old. <laughs> That's me now. That's where you are now. <laughs> That's where you've got Min Woo Lee looking up to That's you now. Right. Oh, there's Adam Scott. Yeah. <laughs> we were, to- we were yeah. talking about, obviously, we've, got, we've had uh, Min Woo on the channel a few times and look played with him around here, actually, and the old course and... Uh, the good news was he, he went on to win a tournament soon after being on the podcast. Yeah. So I'd like to think we've got some level of lucky charm. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to work for you. <laughs> Thank you. He seems like a good lad and he seems like a obviously a baller. Oh, yeah. Um, no, he's got some, he's got all the, all the arsenal in the bag there, you know. And it, some people can crack it straight away and he, he's got it all, like winning the Scottish like he did last year in a great field. You know, he knows... But just piecing it all together can take some time. Like, you know, it took me a long time to figure out how to get really competitive in the majors. You know, my first 10 years of my career, I just, you know, it was just like a lottery whether I was going to play good at a major or not. And I didn't play good very often. And then I had a period of time where I just had it all figured out and was threatening at each one, which was fun. But, you know, Min, he's so he's so good. I think he's really close now. He's a few year, few seasons in. I mean, he should figure it out. And he's young too. It's ridiculous. How much does he lean, someone like that, who's obviously you've got a, a common connection from Australia, you seem to have got a bit 
kind of he seems to obviously look up to you. Does he bend your ear much on advice? Does he kind of say, Adam, Adam, am I going to get around the old course? Does he ask for advice? And also, are you willing to give advice? <laughs> yeah. Or is it or is it kind of like, why should I give an advice to some competitor? Yeah. No, I think one of the nice things about the game, certainly through my career, is you know everyone's been really open to sharing um, some tips, let's say. You know, I'm not my job to coach him around the old course. I think I'd probably mess him up more than I could help him, you know. On, pu- I, on purpose. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so Miss right yeah, on every hole. Don't, yeah, <laughs> challenge the right side. Play it really high, <laughs> play it really high in the air. Yeah, just take it down the right yeah. everywhere. But um, no, like that. I think, the, I think they play so different than kind of how I learned to play too. You know, I'm almost learning how the new or modern game is played a bit by watching these guys as well. So, Has your game changed a lot in the last 10 years or so? Like ball speed, club head speed, distance has become a massive factor mm-hmm. with the introduction of launch monitors and stuff yeah. as well. Have you strived for that? I mean, you're not obviously a short hitter. Have you strived mm. to gain more distance and speed? I mean, I've I've tinkered at times for sure to see what happens. Um yeah, when I, when I hit it long, I hit it wider too. Mm. <laughs> That's what happens for most people, I think. You know, look, Bryson did an amazing job of gaining all that speed, but he, keeping it pretty much on the golf course. And there was a period there where it was frightening, the accuracy with that length. Um, hard to maintain, obviously. But, you know, I'm kind of... I have my own golf swing DNA that I've had forever, and it's hard to work against that I'm so far in now like I can do what I can do and uh, I think it's still enough to kind of pick apart any golf course Um, but I'm but I'm not able to carry it like Rory over bunkers at 340 and step on one that's not where my game is now and and I'm not set up to do that I've kind of got dialed back equipment to play how I like to play we're going to come on to equipment shortly because obviously mm, you've had yeah. a bit of a transitional period recently. But is there, I would say, arguably, you would be known to have the best-looking golf swing in the world. I can be your hype man. <laughs> well, right? yeah. Th- I can be your hype yeah, man. Thanks. You have. Yeah. Does that kind of come with levels of, like, pressure? Like, <laughs> have you, like, have you almost always, have you, are you into technique, first off? And also, do you always kind of come back to this aesthetic-looking or would you sacrifice aesthetic looking swing for more distance, power, etc.? Mm-hmm. Um, am I into technique? I mean, I know a little bit about golf uh, technique. I guess I probably no, I didn't. Not I didn't learn it early or anything like that. Um, but I know a little bit. But I'm I wouldn't be a, a great coach. <laughs> I don't think. But. Uh, I I think what fools a lot of people with my swing is the rhythm. You know, it's a nice flowing rhythm. It's it and it's just kind of evolved. I mean, it was a slightly different, faster rhythm um, when I was younger, very much like, like young Tiger, I guess. Yeah. And that was on purpose for me. I was just trying to swing like him, yeah. like everyone was. Of course. You know, and uh, and it's just kind of evolved. I haven't really changed my swing. You did really well at copying his homework, basically. (laughs) (laughs) You saw him went, I'm going to copy that. Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone everyone was having a go. And um, somehow 
I managed to match it up pretty good for a while. And then, of course, I worked with Butch and he also found we had similar attributes. So we worked on some similar things and my swings really just evolved from there. So I'm, I'm, uh, I actually don't watch my golf swing at all now. I mean, I don't really, I haven't really seen a swing since maybe last year at Augusta. So really? nearly 18 s- months. When you yeah. say that, do you mean swing from an, an analysis standpoint? Yeah. Okay. I see occasionally a swing on television or, or something like that. But that doesn't allow me to like pause it and check every spot and, you know. And would you? Do, I, you, do you do that on purpose? Do you not analyze your yeah, swing on purpose? Yeah, I think it's better I don't look. Um, you know, I have a coach and I trust him and he does a great job with me. And he's done a great job with me for over 10 years. And... Um, because I can get into like the aesthetics and go, mm, I'd like to see my left wrist a little flatter at the top and yeah. then square the club face a bit more. But if I start fiddling with that and I'll move stuff and everything starts moving and all of a sudden it's yeah. not, not good at all. Well, that's it because your coach will say to you, well, actually flattening that wrist, you're going to end up hitting it more left. And yeah. you go, I know, but I like it. Yeah. I like it flatter. Like you know, it looks, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think yeah. people can get trapped into that. I think, yeah. And one of the things that I was blown away by, we were doing some research before you came. And since I think it was 2001 till the present day, the end of every year, you've been in the world's top 50 golfers, which is right. insane. Yeah. And I think Andrew said before, is it 86 majors you've competed in? 84 majors without missing one right. in a row. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Like, how yeah. have you stayed so consistent and also like injury-free to play in every yeah. major for 84 in a row? What I mean, obviously there's lots of secrets to guess, but what has been the secret <laughs> to that? Uh, the longevity thing, I don't know. I, um, I think, you know, I was lucky. I had some talent early on. I d- and like I said before, I didn't play very good in the first whatever, 40 majors, we'll call it. Uh, I had a few top 10s, but never really featured. And um, But I was, when my good golf was good back then, it was really good, and I'd win a couple tournaments a year for most of those years, but I could never take it up to that level. And there was this guy, Tiger, making it hard for <laughs> anyone to actually believe they could play at that level. Of like, course. Like I turned pro and I had the dreams of, being world number one and winning all these tourneys and then like Tiger in 2000 was making, you know, for, <laughs> ten, for 10 years that dream was just not going to happen. When Tiger was at that absolute <laughs> pomp, did it, it, obviously, what was it like to witness? Did you did you think like when I'm on, obviously I could compete with this guy, but it was just that he was just on just so often. What was it like to see? Was he just head and shoulders by everybody else? I think everyone or, or all the top players initially seeing him thought, yeah, when I'm on I'll be able to compete. And then when they were on, they couldn't compete. You know, it just you just couldn't. It was just every bit of his game and makeup was just at a level above everybody else. And uh, it, it's hard to explain. I've tried to explain it to some of the younger guys who weren't on tour until maybe 2010 or something and didn't see, like, this ridiculous stuff early on in the 2000s. But it, it, it's hard to explain that he was that much better than everybody else. And I had a... One one with Martin Keimer, who who was not grasping like how someone could be so much better, and he he'd just been number one, and he'd won his second major, and he won it by eight shots. He won the U.S. Open by eight shots, which is outrageous. 
I said, well, Tiger won it by 15, like nearly <laughs> double. Nearly lapped you. Like how good yeah. you thought you played that week. He's nearly lapped you. Wow. You know, and I it's bet, hard to I get bet your head pre- around that. I bet he appreciated that, <laughs> that chat. He's yeah. like, thanks, Adam. Well, he wasn't believing me. I'm like, all right, well, believe this, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, have that. Yeah. So in that era then, to, to win a tournament that Tiger was in, you'd have to be, or guys have to be on their A game and then Tiger be on his like B game Can't, to get yep. that win. Basically, yeah. I mean, he was he was winning tournaments with average average game for sure. And uh, and when he was playing really good, you know, let's look at just the majors. He won by 15, 12, 8 here at St. Andrews. Yep. Host of other tournaments by more than five. And you hardly see anyone run away with a tournament these days. You know, it's a much... More level pegging. Yeah, I must admit, there's a lot more playoffs like these days, or, or one shot, closer, one shot victories and yeah. things like that. You know, even obviously someone like Scott Scheffler at the moment, who's on an incredible yeah. form, unreal. He's not winning by ten. No, he's winning by one or two. You know, it, it's not happening all the time like that, really. Um, so obviously, you've played. This is coming up to eighty-four majors. Yeah, but the big one, the Masters, when yeah. you won it. Yeah, I mean that must have been a relief, I guess, for you. I'm guessing also the the biggest event of your of your career. Yeah. How how did that kind of feel at the time? How's it feel now when you look back at it? I think at the time it was so um satisfying. You know, we'll call that the prime of my career. <laughs> Hopefully there's still some of that left, but we'll call that the prime for now. At the moment. Yeah, yeah at the moment. And uh you know, there there'd been so much in the lead up to it, you know, like a few years of actually believing that I'm good enough to win a major, you know, the the real belief, the real self belief inside, not just the dream. Of course. You know? and and maybe maybe not even the the media hype or what other people are telling you. Mm-hmm. You have to you believe have to, it. Yeah. You in yourself have yeah. to believe I can do it. Was it two thousand eleven to fifteen, I think you had eleven top tens in the majors. Right. So you on a se- like serious hot streak. So you must have yeah. known leading up to that, like I, yeah. I can do this. Yeah, I think uh two thousand um 11 I finished second in the masters and I played really good I shot 67 on Sunday but I was only it was Schwarzelberti the last four and uh beat me and that never happened before and I was but it was that moment where it was like okay that you cl- can really do this yeah that, that, you know? that was apart from a, a you know a very freak yeah. four holes or you would have won it do you know what I mean felt like that to me yeah. at least um but it was at that point, it was like, no, you're really ready to do this. And then the, the next year was Lytham at the Open where I bogeyed mm. the last four and lost. And that was a heartbreaker. And still can't believe it happened. But there was like this moment after that where I just went then on a mission. Then it was like, no, no, this can't be this. This can't be the story for me, you know. Uh, and the PGA was soon after that back then. But uh Rory won at Kiowa and then it was the eight months until the Masters but through that whole time I was pretty much just on a mission of you know I'll get I'll get it the next one you know and I was at a point where the head down and focus and I did whatever I had to do and I remember like from that January leading into that Masters in 13 uh there was a really strong vibe going on around my training and my coach and everything and it was we knew something was going to happen we just were you know the enthusiasm was high and we were just pushing hard 
you must have had a really strong mindset then and positive after that obviously at Lytham four bogeys and just missing out to then go right this is my time I'm going to continue to work that must have been some real resilience because I guess some guys heads could have gone down after that yeah I mean and again it was the positive was even more than the Masters where where Schwartzel birdied the last four Lytham was all on my bat you know and I controlled this major. It was all up to me. And that was even more belief like, yeah. you're ready. You're ready to do this. Just got to keep getting in that position. And I had the recipe, you know, so I just had to find a little little something that I missed there at Lytham at the end. Uh, you know, it was really soft bogeys. Like it wasn't like a horror show of bad shots yep. and stuff. It was just so soft. And, uh, and it's like you've got to identify and be really tough on your – critiquing your performance and and I can get more relaxed in a pressure situation and like cruise even more and and at a major you know that can catch you out because the the penalty for a mistake is much more and the pressure is much more too so you know I learned a lot out of them you know I had to but I knew like oh I'm playing better than everybody else and uh, I, c- I can determine the outcome of these tourneys. I can really sympathise with you. Yeah. <laughs> so recently I, I do a series called Break 75. Mm-hmm. The goal is to try and shoot Break 75. And I um, double bogeyed the last for a 75 mm. at Royal Lytham. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a hard hole. I can, feel, I can <laughs> Look, feel your pain. 18 is a very <laughs> difficult hole, you know. They, no one realises how hard a hole that is. I when mean, Ernie made birdie there that day, you know, that was yeah. a freak. There was probably three people <laughs> watching and a yeah. seagull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hit the worst tee shot of my life. Went in the bunker that was like yeah. 180 yards yeah, that away. Was a bad one, that. Really bad shot. Left it in. Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah, it's, not about, it's not about like a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a, it's a very bunker-filled yeah, golf I, course. Yeah, I love, obviously that golf course is phenomenal, but I got, I got in so many bunkers because I was getting angry at how many there actually are in good places as well. It's catch your ball. Yeah, I, m- I remember in, two th- in 2013, obviously, when you won the, won the Masters, it was like, I think you are such a fan favourite that the whole golfing community was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, it, felt, done like, it. yeah it felt like that. Thanks, yeah. It did. I have really strong, vivid memories going down the 10th in the playoff. And it was a real um, raw crowd of emotion it was like low cloud drizzling rain kind of cool uh and people were just yelling and cheering and really getting into it the golf was good with me and cabrera in the yeah. in the playoff and stuff but i felt like everyone was like on your trying to get me over the line because yeah. lytham was pretty fresh still at that point mm. uh for everybody and it was a shocker there's no doubt about it i mean it's hard it's hard to it's hard to think that you know, I let that slip away, you know, because as a, as a proud kind of top player, you want to have like this, you, you want to be uh, bulletproof almost, you know, you don't want to show that you might have a weakness to anybody else. And that's a pretty big one. So it was important for me yeah. to kind of come back. I mean, but it did feel like that. It was really a it felt like a really um, popular win, which it is It looked nice. like Cabrera was happy for you. I mean, obviously, he was yeah. devastated to lose, but the way he embraced you as well, he, he obviously yeah. respected you massively. Yeah, well, we've had a good relationship on International President's Cup teams, and I've played with him as a partner on the team, and uh, we'd known each other from European tour days when I came over here in the early 2000s. He was on the European tour, and he obviously has gone on and won 
one's him, and he's a big time player. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I actually played with him that week on Thursday, Friday. That he was my first two round draw. No so way. yeah, so you played a lot of golf with him that week. I, yeah, that week I did. We, we've said in the podcast before that like when when a, an elite golfer or any golfer of I have to be elite, but wins a major. It puts them in a different light, and you, you, you solidify them as they're a major champion. Is that how it feels for you guys on tour? When a, when a wins a major, you almost put them on a separate kind of pedestal that they're now joining that elite club of major winners. Yeah, I think so. I think it it's just gone down that path. I think, you know, when Tiger came out and he identified his goal, he had Nicholas's 18 majors pinned up on his bedroom wall, and Tiger made a big deal about majors off the back of everyone considering Jack the best with the best major record, it's just taken them to be what everyone's career is measured by. Yeah. It's the goal mark, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. is. And I think, I think you know, Tiger's done so much, uh, had such an impact on the game, but because he outlined that and he went out after it, and it's incredible that, you know, he, he didn't yet get to... <laughs> 18 yes but he got so close yeah i never can <laughs> no i know it's crazy you, know, you can't but uh but he got up there so quickly that it just became the standard you've got one of the most iconic pictures though on the 18th green at augusta mm. when the rain is drizzling down you've got your green jacket on you've got your arms spread out wide that is when, when i think about major masters winners that is in the top three of my pictures yeah, that come cool. to my head because uh, yeah. it's so unbelievably yeah. iconic. Yeah. Like, do you do you have that anywhere that's, in your house? That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's the one. As soon as you walk in your house, it's there. <laughs> yeah, I'd have it. I'd have a hundred foot canvas, <laughs> you know, on exactly. that picture. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it was a lucky one to get because, you know, funny how things happen. Like, you think of the masters and you think of beautiful flowers and you know the birds are chirping and yeah. the music and stuff and there i am in a playoff and it's like gray and rainy <laughs> and nearly dark like we couldn't have played another hole so it was lucky the part went in and then oh so you've won and now you get the ceremonies now there was no prize giving on the green or anything it was too late they just walked uh, me and bubba out there bubba put the jacket on and i stood stood there i didn't know and i just you know obviously happy and and the club's photographer was the only photographer like behind all the photographers taking the front so because the shadow is so long um we had sir nick fowler on the podcast recently and he was talking to us about the the master's dinner Mm. the day we've done the wednesday and we found out so much is it wednesday or tuesday Tuesday Tuesday. we found out so much about it how like crazy where do you sit in the room because apparently everyone's got their own set place and it's almost it gets split into like continents right where, <laughs> yeah. where, where are you where are you in this kind of mix yeah so there are a few seats that are like absolutely you know reserved they're, they're reserved seating without you know, don't sit in jack's seat yeah don't sit in tiger's seat <laughs> um and then everyone else kind of ends up in a similar place year after year and and the year that you win and you're hosting the dinner, you're up the head of the table for that one for that one time, and then you've got to go find your seat, which is also daunting. <laughs> and I just ran down the left side to Trevor Immelman. We've been buddies since junior golfers, and I'm like, right, I'm going to sit next to my mate for the rest of our lives at this dinner. It's just going to be That's epic. So sick. And uh, so I just got, I got like goosebumps. Then. That so yeah. That's actually a really really cool. Like I'm going to sit next to my mate every year for the rest of our lives yeah. so good yeah because you, you can 
Yeah, and, I know. and you deserve no, they're it. Gonna have, <laughs> they're going to have to write letters to get me out of that tournament, <laughs> but I'm too too old to f- make a round 18. They're going to be like, Adam, you've you've played enough here, mate. You got to stop. <laughs> Your time's up. Yeah, but uh, and do you think that would be because we, we've had we've had a little chat about on the podcast about Sandy Lyle playing in the Masters mm-hmm. and how maybe is it the time to retire? How hard is that decision? Like, is, is obviously you're not there just yet because you're competing still, and, mm. and you, you've got still got chances to win. Obviously, when does it get to a point you're like, I think, I think this is the time I need to hang it up, or do you? Do yeah, you have it must to be. It's got to be hard. I mean, it's so special for all those guys in that room. You see on that evening again, all remind each other how special it is to be in that Masters Club, is what it's called, and uh, you know, started by Hogan long time ago and uh i think that's got to be an incredibly hard decision because it's not like he can't actually get it around the course he's pretty long mm. too still sandy but it but it's uh, it, it's i think it's a real balance and you know generally augusta national do a really good job of keeping the tradition and and what the masters started as and and being the best competition it can be too and I think there's got to be a little wiggle room for some of the champions to keep playing. I think the thing that changed my mind the most, I didn't know it at the time when we did the podcast, he's not taking anyone else's spot, is he? I don't think so. So it's not like the Open where a a past champion would actually take somebody else's spot. So I think that kind of gives him obviously a lot of leeway in the fact that any any of the champions, that you're not taking a spot off somebody who could be competitive in it or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think there's a bit of wiggle room there. You know, and if, if that changed, then... We got we got to look at it, but you know some of all those traditions and the amateurs playing and being a big part of the event. Uh, you know, a lot is talked about what what Bobby Jones uh, and Clifford Roberts started with. So I I, I like some of that still. There's got to be a place for that. Does it have a different feel now? Obviously, as a, as, a, as a past champion, go into the Masters. Does the week have a different feel to it because obviously you still want to be competitive and do as well as you can but do you look forward to it more for things like the champions dinner as well yep <laughs> yep yeah. everything the I green mean, jacket you just love it yeah i put it on every day you know because you can <laughs> and it stays in the locker there that's it, something it we, stays at the club that's yeah. something we learned from Faldo. at home what's that you get like a replica yeah replica stuff. everything's green at home <laughs> i actually I'd, I'd already planned it, but it was even better. But I, I built a house back around the time I won the Masters and I painted it green too. <laughs> Just, so yeah, I have green cars, a green house, you know, everything. Mag- Magnolia house. That's right. <laughs> lots, of gu- lots of guys have azaleas planted at their house at home, like just because they're the popular flower from the Masters. Does any other major have this kind of club feel to it then when you win? Like, do, 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 if a guy's well, won the Open... I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you after I win the Open. <laughs> no, but is it like, do you know, for the other for the other majors, do they seem to have that kind of feel? Because it does feel like when you become a Masters champion, you are part of this real club. But from the outside in, I've not... I know I think they opened over dinner, don't they, for past champions. But I've not heard any stories about any... Like, never heard of a USPGA champions having that kind of club or anything like that these things happened you know or well they all have dinners now i think which is nice because you know they are special events and it i think it is nice to go down memory lane mm-hmm. for all the guys uh and be recognized there's no doubt the masters club is you know the the most exclusive in the game for whatever reason something about the green jacket something about the way augusta national has run this event for 80s 80 years or so now so uh, it's a good one to be in. 
It, well, it really is. Yeah. I must admit, like, if you're going to win any, that that in the open, really. Yeah. I don't know if you, it's the no, same I as agree. you, but that's well, the open. Well, interestingly, when, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, watching golf in Australia, Greg Norman was number one in the world, and he had so many close calls at Augusta, but I watched him win the open twice. And the Open was special and, you know, the UK and Australia has always had a close connection. So the Open was always like the really, really special one. And the Masters was amazing, but my guy never won it. Yeah. So the Open was big for me. And then obviously going to the Masters and playing, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being picky. But I'm pretty happy with the green <laughs> with the green jacket. But if you a claret jug at Augusta uh, at St Andrews, sorry, that's a nice ring to it. I mean, it? yeah, it has a nice ring know. to yeah, it. Yeah. Just we'll have another conversation. Hundred and fiftieth, exactly. Well, we hear a lot as well. We spoke to other golfers before, and they've kind of said that leading up to a, a major, they try and treat it with the same um, preparation as other events. It mentally that they don't want to get themselves too excited, but. Is that really the case? Do you, do you go into this week thinking, this is the one, it's the 150th at St. Andrews, it's the Open? Does it feel different? Yeah, I, I think all the little extras are nice, but even if it wasn't at St. Andrews, if it was the Open last year, I think, I think I, from what my experience is, you need to take your game up, up a level from, from where it is. Some people fool themselves and bring the pressure off. And that's that's absolutely fine strategy too. But you have to know, I think, as a as a competitor that you've prepared well enough. Even if you're then bringing your expectation down, oh, I'm not oh, my shoulder's sore or whatever and you're kind of playing within yourself. I think you've got to you truly will know whether you've actually done the preparation that your game can sustain a level through a major test because because even if it's just the pressure, it's more, you yeah. know, uh, you, and you know, you, it's hard to fool yourself when you're out there playing that or, or the penalty is more severe. The course is set up tougher. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the ultimate test of a golfer. And I suppose the crowd gives it that energy as well. You know, yeah. they, they know how big a deal it is. Yeah. And it could be the best crowd in golf, the open. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do. In say, fact, I, say I, that. I think it, it probably is. It is, has to be. Is that just because they're, that kind of their golf knowledge again like they understand what actually a good shot is in certain situations yeah i i believe so yeah and there's a real appreciation uh yeah. for that good shot to 30 feet if yeah. it is 30 feet you know it's nice and that's a nice thing when you're walking walking up to the green and you've you're feeling good and and you're getting a bit of feedback for it too it's a nice thing i suppose the difference is as well let's say let's say it was a, a pj tour event in beautiful sunshine and i feel like and I've, I, don't, I don't know if I've actually been to an event in the US. I've been to the Masters, but I don't think I've been to just a standard PJ. Just started at the Masters. <laughs> I just started the straight rest. there. <laughs> <laughs> it's down here a little it, bit it, after it, that, it mate. It was, it, yeah, it was Sunday, <laughs> Sunday 2018. Uh, yeah. Um, Patrick Reed won it. Patrick Reed, yeah. So there was, um, what I was trying to get to there, take that out of consideration i feel like the crowd at a lot of pj tour events are going because it's a sporting event yeah they're going for a bit of food a bit yeah, of yeah. like it's more like it's a sporting event and the golf's kind of happening mm -hmm. where somewhere like the open this year i don't think they've ever had as much hospitality so that that will still be going on yeah but doesn't matter if it's a cold rainy thursday morning that grandstand on number one will be packed yeah. full of 
spectators wrapped up with the little kind of um, ponchos and on or whatever it may on. be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, they'll be watching. They'll be listening to it on the radio. They'll have mm. the they'll have the course planner out. They're going for the golf. Yeah. Like it's not for the drinks and the showbiz side of it. They're going because they want to watch the best of the best. Yeah. In, like enjoy that test. And I think that's where you do get that incredible crowd at a place like the Open. Like you said you hit a five yeah. iron to like thirty foot. People know it's an amazing golf yeah. shot and they'll clap. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think the the walk up eighteenth holes at the Open, the way they do the stands, it's clever in it, brilliant. And I think it makes a different sound. You know, Does it really? like on, yeah. on television, I feel like the roar at an open is like a real roar. Yeah. And uh, like an amphitheater. Di- yeah. And it's a different and it's a different sound than other tournaments. It's it's truly special. The open. I mean, it's so it's so brilliant. And uh, this one's going to be this one's going to be a cracker. How nervous do you get? Yeah, pretty nervous. Like first tee nerves are big for me. Like, like, yeah. I, like trying to explain that because I think to a lot of viewers. Obviously, a lot of viewers get first tee nerves. Yeah. I genuinely believe everybody in the world gets first tee nerves. Mm-hmm. But for someone like you, this is your 84th major <laughs> champion. I know, yeah, but what Shit. my first tee nerve, I could actually top it or like yeah. put it out about what what are you? What's your worst nightmare when you're stood over a ball? Because sure, you're thinking <laughs> might be a bit thin or something. It's not yeah. like you're gonna go old B on one or anything. At the well, end. I'm not gonna say anything. You know, like <laughs> I, <laughs> let's just. Bounce it off Russell. One thing I will say, you know, like a little less nervous on the first tee at San Andreas because it could be a five iron. Yeah. You know, I can handle that and it's like hitting into a driving range. So, you know, I, I should be able to handle this one. <laughs> but first tee, it's just a build up. And, and because, you know, you want to do well, it's it's what you've been thinking about. It's what you're working. And, you know, it's the a little bit of anxiety and, and nervous energy and and everything. And, it's the, it's the start. I think by the time you're getting around to 18, even if you're in contention, even if the Open's on the line coming down the last, it's a different nervous than teeing off. Of I'm way more in control yeah. once once I've played out there. You know, I, I feel like... But it can last, like, on a bad day, like when you know, maybe the game's not quite there, maybe the head's not quite there, and now you're out for the Open, but you want to do well, even if that, even if you shouldn't be thinking that. Uh, they can last a few holes. It can take you a few holes to really calm down, and you can do a lot of damage of to your you score can. in those few <laughs> holes. The, the, so you obviously Thursday is understandable. The first shot of the tournament mm-hmm. does it continue on like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday first tee? Obviously Sunday if you're really in contention. I think like, I think it's a lot less. I yeah. think you know you you do get yourself under control. It's a lot less. But a funny story when I qualified for the Open here in 2000, first major. And uh, I think I had like a three, some three o'clock tea time on Thursday anyway. Nice. It's all really baked out and dry. Five iron off the first. I mean, couldn't get better, <laughs> you know, can't really mess this up. Then I go five iron down there. Perfect. And the pin's just over the burn there and had a had a pretty good yardage. Nothing but it. it was just a lob wedge. Hit the shot. I'm watching it. I'm going, sit down, sit down. As it's bouncing toward the burn. I completely <laughs> fatted it and it rolled in the burn and I doubled the first. Oh, <laughs> welcome to major golf. Just oh terrible. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but, um, I won't forget it. It was just a shock. I'm like, oh my God, I've just laid the sod over the lobber. <laughs> I genuinely think a lot of listeners and viewers will appreciate that honesty about first tee nerves. Because I think, yeah. you know, I do, I think when you're a, Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A 18 handicapper playing in your local tournament you're thinking you're the only person in the world that has first tee nerves yeah. but it's quite the opposite everybody yeah. everybody has it everybody I have to think so you know I definitely Augusta the first tee at Augusta is the most nervous I get all year I think it's just the build up you know it's been a long time since a major and it's you know I'm thinking I'm going out to win or whatever it is and it's a pretty tough first it's hard, hard. First it's hard, hard for it? everything about it's hard the tee shot's hard the second shot's hard the green is one of the hardest greens to putt on on the course and you know you're jangling <laughs> basically so you know it can it it can all get away from you pretty quick and it's a proper shoot out of the out of the spectators oh yeah like obviously yeah. the old course the spectators on the first tee are quite a bit out yeah. of the way but augusta I, I look at it sometimes on tv and go oh, no i wouldn't fancy this <laughs> not, even, not even if i'm hitting it well it's a very <laughs> understated first tee announcement as well isn't it the masters yeah it's very like is it four yeah. please yeah it's almost like is anyone watching i yeah. can just sneak off here no <laughs> one's watching <laughs> i'm just gonna go off early guys yeah that's mad. Just last thing on majors, then maybe, but like that spell you had from was it eleven to fifteen, where it was like ridiculously competitive. You hear again. I think you said earlier on another golfer say how they kind of get, want to get the game to the A game ready for the majors. How do you actually do that? Like, how do you get your game to its best possible point for the majors? Is it just a practice routine? Is it mentally? How how do you actually do it? Yeah, I think um, you know everyone's got their ways of getting ready and I think I had a pretty good recipe going through that period of time you know I found some stuff that worked and I didn't fiddle with it too much I just let it kind of build and accumulate you know I kept doing the same stuff and the momentum was going and I was getting better and better and better and at that time I liked I liked the range like I like hitting balls I can get into a good session you know three or four hundred balls I love it you know I no can way. stand out there and hit balls all day I really like a good range session and at that time 
there were a couple of things I was working on, especially before Livem, and I was hitting like two shag bags of balls a day for like two weeks leading into Lytham, the Lytham week, and just grooving my swing. You know, it was just like in the groove. And I was doing all the other right kind of stuff, the training and the treatment and everything, and it was all in a good place. And, you know, most like top athletes, the ones I've spoken to, they all say their performance comes from the preparation like and then and then you get there and you just go out and do what you're naturally yeah. good at you know you don't have to think and there yeah no and it's all done and and that's where the mental strength comes from it's like it's all the work beforehand mm. you know the my mental um i guess discipline or came from being disciplined of going to the gym on the day like <sighs> don't want to do it don't yeah. want to do it but you go and you and you get it done or or you hit that bag of balls the day that you didn't want to do it and you just keep accumulating. There's also a time to know when, you know, like you got to stop because, uh, you know, you're sick or your hand's bleeding, you know. Because a lot we all have a lot of similar traits like professional. You get a bit obsessive about stuff, you know. You can see it. Guys get a bit obsessed about the gym or get a bit obsessed about hitting balls or a certain action and a move and it's just... We all have that trait, I think, being professional and competitive and doing stuff over and over again. So you've got to know when <laughs> when you've taken it yeah. too far as well. I suppose it is like if you know you're prepared for something, you are just better. Yeah. And you yeah. just know, you know, if you can look back and go, I've done everything I could to be prepared for this situation. Yeah. Therefore, your confidence level boosts yeah. through the roof and you think, I couldn't have done anything more. If it doesn't yeah. go to plan, I've, I've yeah. done everything I could have done. Well, most recently for me, the best... One recently was at the US Open. I went up straight from Memorial. I flew over to Brookline. Played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the week after Memorial Tournament. And my first look at Brookline, I was like, what is going on out here? You can't see anything off the tee. You don't see a ball finish on the green. You know, I was, I couldn't believe it. And then Tuesday, I got my head around it a bit. And Wednesday, I'm like, right, I've got this course figured out. And I left and went away and did a bit of practice and chilled for the rest of the week to get ready for the US Open. And came back, didn't touch, didn't touch the course on Monday or Tuesday and just played a few holes on Wednesday. And I had this great strategy for the golf course. Really simple. Like, it's a tricky course. You don't see a lot. The only number I got for the week was the front edge of the green. I didn't look at a pin the whole week. All I had to do was fly the ball over the front edge and it would be fine. And it was the easiest, simplest way to play the course. Now, I didn't hit enough fairways to win the tournament. I think I finished 13th or something. But I just, I was so prepared. Like that three days was so valuable because then I was just calm. Yep. And, I, and I walked probably into that US Open, the calmest I've walked onto a major in a long time. Maybe wow. ever. I, wow. I just felt so confident with like my approach to the thing. Wow. So it's a, sometimes you figure it out. <laughs> Talking about confidence, back in 2014, you were world number one. Mm. Does that bring a level of confidence that you are the best golfer in the world or does it come with added pressure? It was pretty short-lived, <laughs> unfortunately, for me. I think... I think uh, it was a few... It, what, how long was it, though? Uh, it's 11 a weeks. A couple months, yeah, yeah, something like that. The, um, it's 11 weeks more than, <laughs> than anyone else in the it, room. <laughs> it's a great, it really is a great accomplishment. It was like the kid dreaming. He want, I was going to be world number one. And like I said, for the first 10 years, it seemed like completely impossible that that was ever going to happen. Tiger was playing and it was just, 
basically not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then it was like a few years of chipping away at this thing and finally getting there. And uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing accomplishment to stand there and think, right, right now, no one on the planet is better than me. Does that give you confidence? Yeah, for Great. sure. Yeah, like win, winning a tournament, I can't tell you how much confidence that gives you. And I think about the confidence I get from winning a tournament. Then I think like Tiger won every third tournament for 10 years. I mean, just joking, how how much confidence did he have? You know, I, I can't imagine. Like, if I win a tournament, I think I'm never going to lose again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We could hit a good shot. Yeah, never, <laughs> we could hit a good drive and think we're never going to hit it offline yeah, again. Yeah. It does. It, you're right. It, it does. Is. It takes a thousand shots to build confidence, but also one to kind of shatter it yeah, a little bit right. as well. But yeah, I think if, it, it, it was just an interesting take because I'm not sure... Sometimes I reckon a lot of others might answer that and say, well, as number one, you feel like you've got a target on your back. Like you're the guy to chase down. And that almost comes with a level of pressure that's sometimes hard to kind of maybe control or manage. I can can see that. Certainly if, you know, you're prolonged number one and, you know, it becomes a thing like, okay, you're 50 weeks in Jason Day or whatever, like everyone's gunning for you now. It was like a fun period for me. Like I actually, the week I went to number one, I wasn't meant to play, but I thought if I don't play, it's possible someone else goes to number one who's oh, playing. God, yeah. So, so I, I entered the tournament. I'm like, I have to play as yeah. number one, and I actually won the tournament that week. So uh, that's, that's how I managed to kind of hang on for a few more weeks. But you know, it felt like uh, I've got to play as number one in the world. You know, it might not be the case again. So um, that that was a fun thing. And actually, Steve was caddying for me at the time. And he'd gone home to New Zealand. I said, hey, I'm going to play. So he's had to fly back over. No. For to America? Yeah, to America. And it was colonial. And he's like, why are you playing? It's not a good course for you. I said, I'm playing because I want to play. It's number one in the world. And he's like, oh, you know, he's done it all, of course. Yeah, of course. You know, he's done everything. <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh. And, and we were four over after nine on Thursday. He's like, I told you this was a bad idea. I told you this was a bad you idea. you say that on the course? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. And I'm like, right, I'll show you then. <laughs> so we scraped in, made the cut, and won the tournament on the weekend. I oh was happy God. then. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is so yeah. funny. Um, we're quite into equipment yes. here on the okay. show, um, and our audiences as well. You've, been, you've had the biggest change of equipment this year, or last year, was it? End of last year? Um... No, this year really. I didn't. I didn't actually change any equipment starting this year, but that's kind of just evolved mm, throughout the year. Now. You've got a lot of newer clubs in the bag. Yeah, more. It seems to be creating a bit of a storm online. These sexy looking irons <laughs> you've got in the bag. <laughs> yeah, these they are AS irons. Yeah, are they Miura? They are. Yeah. And uh, did you have much say in, into these? I'm guessing you did because they've got your initials on the y- back. Yeah. But yeah, I did. I um, you know. I been with I was with Titleist for twenty one years, a full staff player, and um, you know, it the reality is that that they don't last that doesn't last forever. And it got to the point at the end of last year where you know I had some more freedom, so I started. They built me an incredible set of irons at the back end of last year, but in conjunction with that, I'd. I'd asked Mira to also build. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I asked Mira to build a set of irons and I tested them, Mira's initially. Um, and I liked a lot about it, but I just, I was used to 
the look of the Titleist iron. I'd used them for seven or eight or nine years. And yeah, it was quite it was quite commonly known you were using not the you didn't always use the latest blades. Was it six right. eight ones or something? They were. Yeah, so they were they were six eighty ones, which is the iron tiger used at Titleist really early days. So they're yeah. a really old style looking blade, much wider sole much more offset than probably most of the modern clubs. When I pick up modern clubs today, there's no offset for me. I grew up with a lot of offset. Like a Ping I2 iron doesn't bother me at all. Like I'm happy to oh, see. Really? See, the only thing the way around with see, better players, yeah, don't you? Ricky think. Fowler's got some zero offset. Well, he's like onset yeah. almost. It's so bizarre that all the guys now are learning with none. And I think, you know, I think there's some science in that. Like they're saying, you know, you don't want that like, club coming in behind the shaft for deviation and all this yeah. kind of stuff that I don't really know much about. But I just grew up playing with offset and that's what I like. So that's what I know. You think someone who, who you know, again, famously have, have used the most butter knife blades in the game, mm-hmm. that the offset would offend you, that, that potentially you said about the ping eye twos there, yeah. you really wouldn't like the look of those because, they, right. you know, there's almost too much kind of help with this offset, yeah. but it's actually quite the opposite. Well, I think most clubs in the 80s and 90s had plenty of offset. I think there was a lot in there, and uh, even on the blades, if you look at really old blades, there was a fair bit of offset in, in the iron. So that's what I grew up with, and that's kind of what I like looking at. So why Miura? Well, they... They have a good reputation, you know, really of making a high quality club. And I was interested in investigating that. And uh, after I hit the first set and said, look, I like how they feel uh, and I like the sole, which is something I've been looking at stats and trying to figure out why I have better stats at some places than others into the green. Um I asked them if they kind of start working more towards my look. So I sent them a set of my Titleist to have a look at and see if they could shape something similar, which they did. They're not exact copies at all of the Titleist. No, obviously for legal reasons. Yeah, I don't, I don't, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't know what, what just, they we, do. But we just get it in there anyway. <laughs> Does Mura yeah. himself make the science for that? Or is it his team or? I, I honestly don't know. I just, you know... I said, this is what it's got to be. Yeah. You know, if you want to want there to be a chance of me using it, it has to be something like this. Let's start there before you tell me how much better, how much more yeah. you know. I know you know more than yeah, me, yeah. but I've got to look at it and hit it. Do they so. feel different? Because I've heard they feel very good. They're incredibly solid. Yeah. yeah. They get hit twice, don't they, in the forging process, apparently. Documentary. So you know it. more than me, yeah. too. You know what would be really yeah. funny if they came to you and went, Right, Adam, we're going to make you so much longer, <laughs> straighter. We're going to well, make you you're both like more <laughs> accurate. You definitely need this brand new set of Muras. Yeah. You for a good price. Yeah. <laughs> like. Well, the funny thing is, one of the, when I got the first set to hit, they said, don't be surprised if you hit them further because they're so solid, even though they're the same long. Did you want to? No, no, I'm not really. But he, he was just trying to forewarn me. But I think it's pretty funny. Like they, they, they think they are so solid. They that you might actually get a little more distance out of it. It's um but they've gone well. I've used them in two events so far and my statistics with the iron play have been incredibly strong with them. So, uh, you know, it's been a good so it's not move just, at the moment. It's not just the cosmetic. No. They look nice and look that was <laughs> that was a surprise to me because I really didn't expect that cuz you know, I don't have any relationship other than then 
they're kindly making a set of clubs for me. So it wasn't really about that at all. Have you <laughs> clever marketing from them? Though, <laughs> isn't it really? yeah. Clever marketing. If you've not seen them, we'll put an image yeah, up. Or awesome. if you're listening, Google it. And it's literally got your logo, your right. A and S logo yeah. on the back. It look they pure. do look phenomenal. I'm looking forward to seeing them today. Obviously, you were Titleist for the twenty odd years, and you know Titleist make amazing clubs from drive right through to ball. We all we all know yeah. that. But is it kind of in some ways a nice feeling being? mixed bag just choosing whatever you want and having different brands in, in there. some ways it's a nice feeling for sure and i'm look i'm still a contracted titleist player i play the ball mm-hmm. and uh foot joy so you know i still have an ongoing relationship yeah. with this company for now 20 plus years which i'm really proud of to of be course, honest it's and amazing achievement. they've been incredible supporters to me and fantastic so i'm really happy for that but it is a it is a nice feeling to just uh kind of be on my own terms at this point in my career and Mm. and just be in control. And I think what's interesting is, you know, I started this year with uh, the freedom to do whatever I want, but I didn't, I hadn't changed a thing. It was all the same as last year. And then, you know, a couple months in curiosity (laughs) had the better of me. And it's like, I played with Tommy or I played with someone who's hitting a stealth. But it is, then, then you open this door to potential testing, which is, a never-ending uh, cycle if you get into it. I Welcome mean, to Rick's world. <laughs> thousands <laughs> yeah, of shafts and heads and settings and all kinds of stuff. It's it's mental. So I just did a really a really little bit and got got to a comfortable spot. A brands coming to you and pushing their product on you a little bit, like suddenly a Callaway coming. Ah, Adam, I think you could hit <laughs> driver. Are they kind of like trying to potentially get product in your hands C- as well? Certainly early uh, on the range this year on tour, there I met a lot of new faces. Yeah. <laughs> like that fresh blood. Yeah, yeah guys who would yeah. never you'd never spoke to for yeah. 20 years on tour. They've given up on me. They've given up on me, honestly. You know, Suddenly like, 20. we've got him. We, yeah. We're going to get a driver in his hand. So yeah, yeah that must be quite, like I say, Mike, it, it's tricky because you could make it complicated where in the past you've gone, well, I've got two drivers to choose from yeah. Or, yeah. or a couple, maybe a few years yeah. old because I, I think you've, you've been quite hard to change sometimes, I guess. It is. I mean, I, I think it is hard to change on a regular basis. Like if you get something good, you want to just keep going with that. And I think we've seen pretty much the proof is in the pudding. Like guys who are really peaking out, like when Jason Day was on tear or Brooks, you know, he was just using this stuff. And Brooks wasn't even contracted to use stuff most of that time. He won majors. So, you know, you've got to find what works and, and you stick with it. And like you've form a relationship with these clubs you know we see it obviously i'm guessing you know when you first came on tour and even through to the last maybe five or six years it was very common that guys have full through the bag deals with one brand or whatever it might be probably since nike stopped making clubs i've seen it a lot more now that guys like brooks kepka was doing it where they're using a bit more of what they want and that's becoming more of a popular thing is that because guys are more open to it now thinking actually that might be a better strategy or is it because people now are making almost more money through other deals and other sponsors that they don't need to sacrifice having a club deal as such? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. You know, I think it's just like the evolution of the pro game. There's lots changing, obviously, now. Lots happening, but also with the equipment stuff. Um, and there was, if you go back, I remember when it all became full full club deal. Like, when I first turned pro, there was a lot of freedom and it was almost like yeah oh you like that we'll just stamp whatever on it you know and it's not even close to available to any anyone to buy but as long as it says titleist on it 
almost, almost, you know, there was a lot of freedom to have like really customized stuff and it's really built for the pro. And then there was a period where that just ended and it was like, here's this stuff. It's going to be in the shop. This is what you're using. We'll figure it out. It's all adjustable and we'll get it sorted for you. And I think, you know, it's it because of things like you said, like the money's getting so big and uh, guys realize, you know, it's, it's detrimental to their career to like sacrifice the fairway woods, for example. Mm. I'm just picking yeah. stuff, but the fairway woods because, you know, you've got to be in a 14 club deal to get this contract. But like the prize money is so mega now. Like if you play good one week, you're probably going to make that contract <laughs> up in one week. So yeah, there's, there's the balance point, you know, yeah. but you do want to be well supported onto it as well with the equipment. Like, you, you know, you need to have some support of, um, if things go wrong, and that that is nice, Titleist still offer me that kind of full support That's out there good. too. Yeah, That's what Tommy I must said, admit that that really changed my mind on contracted players. We had Tommy on, and he said almost like the the um, it's like an F one team. Yeah, they're like the mechanics. Yeah, so they're going in, looking at his numbers, and going, "We feel like you can improve in this area by this product," but they're doing it for sole purpose of performance. Yeah. It wasn't it's obviously not trying to sell products, but it's it's for full performance benefit. And I, I look back at it and thought. Oh yeah, I hadn't really ever thought of it like that. You know, yeah. they they're making these fine, tiny tweaks all the time to get their their driver, mm-hmm. as in the golfer, mm-hmm. the best equipment, i.e. the car, mm-hmm. to make it perform the best. And yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that makes mo- so much more sense. I suppose the other thing you would mention then, how I think social media has probably stopped these brands being able to just stamp Titleist on any product or yeah. other because there's so much more close-up imagery now yeah and there's so much more that's that's leaked out into the into twitter and instagram that you can't you can go and oh, that's not the club that they're saying that it should be do you know what i mean so they yeah. probably had to be a little bit more stringent on on the actual product that's being sold yeah. really well, one thing i really like that i think i'm sure that you you have done this or still do titleist do is what the players often use an older version of the ball because they still like that more mm-hmm. you use like a, was it a 15 i use 15 v yeah. yeah i think i'm the only guy using it well, actually. that's cool <laughs> that they still produce that for you because it is still using YouTube. that right now yeah 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 they no one used it and uh, i think um it was unpopular because it kind of got known as like the short pro v1 like no pro v1's ever really been short but it was like that pro v1 in 15 versus the x had the biggest Gap. Gap. And so it was unpopular and <laughs> I'm the only guy who Why do you like it then? Because it spins a lot. Right. Yeah. And I've just, again, you know, I turned pro, I was using a professional 90 when I turned pro. There wasn't even a pro V uh, on the range. So, you know, that spun a lot. So, like, where I started to learn the game was with a lot of spin and this ball doesn't spin anywhere near like a professional 90. But once you get into, like, the, the current v1 and v1x you know they have such a big engine it's such a different launch window they're they're so hot it's like it's a big step for me to like kind of almost change my whole um way i approach hitting shots and where and the window that i see them in and flighting them and i think my iron play generally like my distance control is 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 up there on on the tour with anyone's and 
I feel like I'd be sacrificing a lot to like make a big change. You yeah, know, I'm just not. in my comfort zone. Really, do they still like, make that ball? I know they've got a massive stash that's got your name on it. Hopefully, they're making it still, <laughs> and they're not like <laughs> seven-year-old stale <laughs> ones. <laughs> you know, you know they're what? not. They're, I, they're unbelievable. They're looking after me. I, I know they're fresh. Look at the wear out. No, I think they're tightly pro V1 2022 ball. <laughs> they just never but sold they got you. Bloody hell! Just we'll stamp, just stamp the know, bloody yeah, 15 on yeah, there, please. You'll yeah. never know. No, exactly. I wouldn't surprise me. I say that stuff. We're we're shockers golf pros i mean honestly i i did change in like 17 to the 17v and i was playing really good in 16 and i just switched it out and, oh yeah this is good this is good and straight away like everything went downhill the next six months and i said to 40 pits has looked after me at Titleist uh on the ball for my whole career i said you have the right to punch me if i ever change ball again <laughs> i've um i've got a tactic you can use so i'm I'm known for, on my channel for cutting golf balls open. Okay. I'll send you a present of some ball cutters. Yeah, perfect. And then when they send you a box, you can cut them open yeah. just to Inspect double just check. Just to check, yeah. I'm just going to check this one. Just yeah. check this is still number 2015. <laughs> right now, in the year 2022, 20, do you think it's the best time to be a professional golfer in the game of golf? Probably, probably yes. I mean... Uh, I mean, generally, it, things are always getting better, you know, like not even in golf. Everything seems to be getting better. So prob probably it's the best time. I mean, maybe everyone can say this, but looking back, I think, man, I came along at the best time. Tiger just mm. turned pro. I mean, look and look how that. So I've just hopped on the coattails of Tiger Woods for the last 20, 20 years and and getting to experience all that he's brought to the game of golf, but also getting to watch him and play with him and against him in that kind of period where I just don't see guys play at a higher level now, but not with the separation like he had, you know. So I feel really lucky to be in them. But if I was a young pro now, I think it, it it's an epic time to be to be out there. There's so much good stuff happening. You can get so good so quick now. The learning curve is way, way shorter. Is that because people have the, the new pros coming up have got experience and, and they've watched guys like you, they've watched like guys like Tiger and Rory for the last you know, 15, 20 years and gone, okay, I can learn what he did there. I can learn how they performed at the highest level. I can see how he worked out in the gym. I can see how he maintained mm -hmm. such a great form for so long. And they can go, well, I'll, we'll just do that, but also advance it. Yeah. We'll do we'll, we won't make the mistakes that you yeah, might you guys sure. might have made or the yeah. guys 20 years, 40 years ago would have made. Well, they should be doing all that like they should be learning but also i think uh you know there's there's so many things it's not just one thing but you know the equipment's good the data analysis mm. you know these kids come out of college and they're four years of just having numbers explained to them and and if it's not being detrimental to them to think about that they're playing like 10 year season pros smart course management i think the best example i can give of that somewhat recently is when jordan spieth came out guy played like a 15-year veteran the first year on tour you know and you couldn't have picked that he's coming out and winning three majors the first four years on tour but like, he played so smart in the head a bit like colin morikawa yeah as well more recently yeah. two-time major yeah. winner and he's so wet behind the ears yeah like he's only been on tour a few years and like, if you look at the we were in um royal liverpool the other day there's a picture of the Walker Cup team from 2017, and you look at the US boys, and then obviously Marikawa, um, Scotty Scheffler, 
Uh, who else? There's somebody else on there as well. There's some guy. Sam Burns, probably. I think possibly Sam Burns. I want to say Matt Wolf, but was he not? He, he was probably I around that time. Been, there was a Oh no! no Vic, Vic's that. the same age too. Vic, Victor's yeah unbelievable player as well. Poland. They've got it all figured out really quick, yeah. you know. And there's people to help them do that, and then uh, they've got to go out and do it, obviously. But I think you know now the information that guys are getting young is really, really helpful if they if they can process it and use it to their advantage. So, and they come out too. The, the big difference I feel like is they come out, and even though you know you watch Rory tee off, and you're like. Pfft, but it doesn't really like intimidate them because they hit at three twenty. Like Rory hits at three fifty, and then Colin nut, nuts one out there like three ten, three twenty anyway with his little strong fade. You know, and it's like no one's really doing anything that no one else can do. You know, who in just sorry in, in your time and obviously Tiger, we'll put him to one side. Who who has been a golf that you've looked at and just thought like, wow, they yeah. hit it just differently. Really? Yeah, I have about five guys on my. Okay, let's see. List that I, when I played with them earlier in my career, I'm like, okay. I, w- I want to be that. In okay, all. like this is, you know, stuff that I'm not sure I can do. <laughs> you know? Got who Ti- you Ti- Well, Tiger was yeah. the first one. Ernie. Uh, Ernie. Ernie I played with a lot in tournaments early on and he's played three of the best rounds of golf I've ever seen when I've been playing wow. with him. And it, one of them was a 60 at Royal Melbourne in... Uh, in the Heineken Classic in like 2004. It's the most outrageous round of golf I've ever seen. Just pure. Just everything under control. You know, drawing three irons into the into the green the right way. Holding six irons on, you know, into a little wind. And putting his short game was superb. I think maybe the best hands on a club I've seen is Ernie. Wow. wow. Yeah. I really enjoyed playing golf with him. And he was nice to play with because the rhythm, like yeah. you could watch and... I mean, he he was hitting it far in that, like, 2003, 2004. He was a really dominant player. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he did it easy. It was nice to watch, and, and, and I could feed off playing with him. Whereas, like, Tiger, in the end, my tactic was to not watch. <laughs> I just had to turn my back. <laughs> you know, like, it was all intimidating and the crowd and everything. And I'm just, like, in my bag <laughs> looking for stuff while he's hitting. Rustling tees. Yeah. <laughs> well, did it make... I'm sure it didn't, but did it make the um, what happened at Lytham slightly less painful because Ernie did end up taking victory, or is that kinda, kinda? It's, it sounds nice. It's pretty painful. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a painful loss, but it's nice. Like Ernie should be a four-time major champion. I'm not gift gifting him one, but you know, I I am pleased. It was. Him that won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go on then. Who's your last, who's your next yeah. three? Yeah. Um, I'd say VJ. I yeah. mean, his ball striking in the early 2000s. Like, I, I remember being on the range in Boston, watching him, got the bottle, the umbrella, you know, the whole thing he was doing. And he was hitting five irons on the range in Boston at the tournament. And I just had to stop and watch. And it was just ball flight after ball flight, just piercing. And he hits a lot of balls, yeah. right? Yeah. And he, it was just so solid so solid i thought that was really good stuff davis love was the big surprise to me when i first played with him because he's won a major and he's been a great player and a Ryder cup star and he won a lot of tournaments on them but pretty pretty uh overlooked Mm. i'd say and i played with him i was like wow this guy really strikes the ball really can strike the ball and that was that he impressed me that round and one more 
I think there's one more, yeah. Do I have one more? Um, Tiger, Earn It, VJ, Davis Love. Yeah. Well, Mick Mickelson, I played with a lot in majors through the 2000s. Thursday, Friday pairing, we seem to, you know, we've joked about it. We always get paired, we got paired together for like 10 years. I think I know why it is. Go on. He always wears black and you quite partial to beige <laughs> and neutral colours. I nearly wore the So, so you can't, the, you can't, yeah. you're kind of like quite contrasting. <laughs> <laughs> you see someone who always wears like a blue and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, Mickelson's the one in black. <laughs> Scott's the one in beige. <laughs> Love beige. What, what is that? What, saw, is that, what was I that story about this jumper? Like, I saw a comment like, why is he wearing that again? Because he's a dad and he's given up on life <laughs> oh, or something. Wow. <laughs> You've not exactly got a dad bod. Like, it's not exactly like you've, <laughs> just, you know, you've let yourself yeah, go. Why, yeah. why, why, what, was there any story? There was, it, was, it was cold that week in LA and that was the sweater I had. So, you know, I, I, I had two of them actually. There was two. But, um, you know, it was that beige <laughs> sweater every day. I think it got a, a little bit out of hand because the next day I had an event and I wore it to that, and there was some media of that. And the next day, you did it on purpose. Now, you just <laughs> well, I now. did on the Tuesday. There was an event on the Tuesday too, and I thought, right now, it's getting yeah, some traction. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'll get everyone wound up. But yeah, I, you know, it's unbelievable what people pick, <laughs> pick yeah. up and run with. We're get, we we seen off soon, so we're going to fly through this very quickly. We're going to get some questions. Yes. Obviously, in the start of two thousand, I just want to ask you one more bit. In the start of two thousand, or certainly when Tiger came through, it was known for him to move the decimal point in golf like the financials he mm -hmm. moved it it feels like right now the decimal point has probably moved again really recently do you think that does play a big part in these young golfers coming through coming up and how they are playing for certain titles and differences this, these days and is the competition harder to win because there is such a wide berth of talented golfers i think um yeah, Tiger definitely changed the decimal point and it's been on an upward trajectory ever since. So, but I can say for myself, like coming down the stretch of a tournament to win, I've never thought about the prize money at that point. Yeah. You know, it's about the trophy at, at that point. Um, however, that's when you're on the course playing. But as a professional golfer, the reason you are a professional and what is separating you from... Uh, the others is that you're playing for money yep. so money is a part of it and you know that that is the case so maybe off the course you're making decisions based around money and the decimal point or whatever so um but i i don't see it just bleeding over to um affecting you how you play i've never thought on you know the last green of the players you know for like this is a million dollar part or whatever that's yeah. not crossed my mind um so you know i think young i think it's become attractive obviously for a lot of people to come and try and play golf and kids getting pushed to play young too because yeah. there is big money in it and it's getting bigger it seems so it, it does have an impact, but I don't think it affects people's play as much as you would imagine. Like, but, especially top players. Yeah. There isn't a top player out there coming down the last of the Masters thinking, oh, this is for three million bucks you're or not playing, something. You're not playing for your mortgage, are you? No. Do you know what I mean? No. Where, where when you're on the rise, you are doing. And yeah. when you're trying to, when you certainly when you're first term pro, yeah. you're really trying to, you know, you have to make money. It's so yeah. important. 
Um, but like I say, once you get into, to, you've been on tour for a long time, I'm guessing it, it, it's not as big a deal. Do you know what I mean? To make it, that. It, it's not as big a deal. No, for sure. I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. And I think there's a lot to shake out as we sit here today. Like, let's see how things shake out over the next 12 or 18 months with just how pro golf structures up mm. now. And, uh, and, you know, and then what trickle down effect that has, because I think that's important too. Like it's always going to be good for the top guys at the top of the world, but let's make, let's see how the trickle down effect is. I think that's a really important part of the program because, you know, whether you're seeing the Euro pro tour and these guys scratching it out to try and get a start and, and pay some bills, but they're probably a lot of doing other stuff as well. Of course. And then, you know, where does it go? And it would be good to see with all this injection that the trickle down effect is having a really positive effect on the on the pro game. You know where pro and real grassroots. Like yeah. You you just talking about the moment the golf course in Ireland, where was it? At La Hinch. La Hinch. It's got six hundred junior members. Junior members. Like, just imagine, amazing. Like so imagine good. imagine the cash injection there. Like yeah. imagine the cash injection in junior golf and development of the future stars. Like yeah. it could be phenomenal like it yeah. could really golf is booming it really is last yeah. few years golf is booming in general play is, is up massively professional golf is getting more eyeballs than it's ever got before yeah. but it'd be so good to kind of push that back into like you say yeah get more kids into it make it more accessible make you know and that's yeah. that's a, where we might see that trickle down from yeah. the top because it's got to start from the top yeah and and hopefully it will do it kind of it'll um well I, get I, the right i'd kind of throw it out there like you know, COVID saw this huge uptake in rounds of golf played. Massive I mean, who rounds. would have who would have predicted it? But no way. But the challenge now is for like our governing bodies and administrators is how do we keep them playing now? Because if we get back to normal life and people have a lot of work again and going into the office and doing all that, they're going to run out of time to play golf. So we've got to be smart now while we have them. Like yeah. we've got to keep them on the hook. And my challenge to all all the leaders in the game would be like, what are we doing to keep them? Because they're just going to go away otherwise if we don't change because they weren't here before. You know, it was just COVID that got everyone into it, which is, you know, like a silver lining of the, <laughs> the whole yeah. pandemic. But for golf, it could be fantastic. And there are there are lots of things happening in the game um, at the moment that could keep peak interest, let's say. So I've got a business proposition for you then. Here we go. If you want to be an investor. Yeah. Rick's Quick Six. Rick's quick six. Go we can on. Work, in I, work in title. Work in title. He's asked a lot of investors so far, and no one's right. signed up. Yeah. So. <laughs> we right. build. We might need a little more info. <laughs> we build really fun. Six minute abs. Or <laughs> <laughs> I could do with them as well. Six whole golf courses yeah. that, are, that are fun, easy to play, and, th- and there's different levels to it. Yeah. I'd like to see different, not different tees, but different hole sizes. Yeah. So you have like a standard hole for your for your good golfers. You have a slightly bigger hole, like a foot bucket hole. hole. And yeah. then you have like your foot golf hole for your yeah. like your higher handicappers. Yeah, for sure. Floodlit, bit of music blaring, but not too loud. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can put a bit country mm-hmm. on, or yeah. you know, whatever it yeah, may be. R&B. Um, you know, it's fun. It's no dress code. It takes an hour to play, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, it, to speed up the process, we'll put conveyor belts between the tee and the green. 
Like you get at an airport. Just cruise. This this is new, by the way. This just bit. cruise. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, it. just cruise down there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so no uh, fitness in <laughs> it at all. No. How just much kidding. investment are you looking for? How much investment for what percentage of share? Maybe, of the is this like Shark Tank? Yeah, I'm looking okay, for right. seventeen and a half million investment. Five percent. Five percent. Please, one one percent, and we'll negotiate from there. And I will not. I'll not leave this room until we get a yes. Uh, but I think things like that yeah, would be so much more fun. We've got to start doing some other things, and again, you know, I'd say to the to the governing bodies of the game, we've got to, we've got to look at that kind of stuff, and and you know, they're in a good financial position. These governing bodies at the moment, thanks to all the success that golf's had, and they've got to look at you know, I know there's a big thing, and I just sit here. It's simple for me. I don't have to think about it. It's not my job, but they how they allocate it and do some studies and go and take over some um, struggling courses and, and, and change the model a bit and see what works where and stuff like that's good. Rick's I just quick think, six. yeah, Rick's quick six could be the thing. Absolutely. We got that, I like we, it. Let, let's, ta- let's clip that one bit. <laughs> yeah. Adam Scott endorses Rick's quick six. Um, <laughs> Look, generally I, w- I, think it would, I would. Yeah. I just think we, we got to do stuff like that. You know, back to La Hinch where I was just out the other day, they've got, you know, they call it like the St. Andrews of Ireland, La Hinch. But then they've got this 600 juniors and this cool f- teaching facility with a pitching area. But then they have the other course, and I'm going to whiff on the name of what they call that course. But it's like got six par three, six par five, and it's all really short, fun. You know, that's where the kids play so mostly awesome. and learn the game. And it just looks so good, you know. And I think, um, you know, ev- everywhere we've got to keep doing that. I look back at my time as a junior in Australia and and it seemed very accessible and very welcomed as juniors and there were great junior programs and uh you know i just have a feeling it's just not quite the same today um talking about startups and kind of getting something to get more people into the golf game you've got a bit of a startup kind of business going on as a little side hustle at the moment Uh, yeah yeah it's getting it's getting to that point that's when you know like okay adam you know, you're at the end of your career now. <laughs> just, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, again, in COVID, there was time. And here we go. I was thinking it's a dangerous thing. And a buddy of mine who just got back into golf uh, after not playing for really since high school uh, got back in. He's gone deep, you know, as you can do. You yeah. just get right into it. And, um, you know, let, let's try and do something and see. And, and it started out as something re- really small and you know, fun, and it's turned into something a bit bigger. And basically, you know, going with the technology world, um, we've been doing some content stuff on YouTube uh, under Fair Game, and there is something coming out soon with Fair Game that's hopefully going to be what people want to kind of hang on their phone who are golfers and, and connect communities. And, you know, from my side of things, it was like I've got all these buddies all around the world that play golf, and it's hard to keep in touch with them all. And I never see how they're playing. And I wanted to build something that I would use. And then he wanted to build something that he would use. And we're coming from two really different places in the game of golf. Uh, so I think it's going to be something that everyone will really enjoy using. So it's almost a bit like Strava for golf. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to describe it. That's yeah. quite a cool way to do it. Yeah. So it's almost like it's social, a bit of a social network. It is. You might be able to meet up with other golfers in your area and play yeah. golf together and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got lots of ideas coming, but basically it's a social network. And uh, as much as it, you can use it on the course if you want, I want it's also something that you'd 
use off the golf course and like kind of be your go-to where you hang and catch up with your golf buddies and almost like a clubhouse on your phone. It's more excuse for Rick's on his phone. Can I just give you a little <laughs> excuse though? Can I just give you yeah. a little bit of advice? Please. I'm not sure if the YouTube game's going to work out for you, Adam. No, no I, I don't think so. I, I just think, you know, you're all right at golf. No, I'm, I'm really not. You're, like de- you're decent at golf. Yeah, you've won a Masters and this, that, and the other. But leave, leave, this, leave the YouTube for the, for the okay. professionals. Yeah, I will. <laughs> as, I'll stumble, I will. as I stumbled my lines <laughs> no, there at the yeah. end. <laughs> I'm only joking. No. But, but I, think, I, I think there's more pros coming into YouTube, social media. Yeah, the stand, You know, it, it's great for golf there's more golf being on YouTube see the personalities more of the golfers as I've not seen before very much and now with you guys coming on things like this and other guys making YouTube content you get to know the the golfer more yeah definitely yeah I think it's great I mean you know YouTube is kind of the platform that I've ended up gravitating towards not not for um, golf stuff but just just generally (laughs) no I've seen your tips I'm I'm looking forward to playing with you I'm looking forward to playing with you soon no but um, and you know, it's just where I've gone, um, and I'm not act very active on all the other social stuff. But um, you know, I think it is a good platform for golf Definitely. to take advantage of. Um, we'll put a link in the description and the podcast as well if you want to check out Fair Game. It's definitely it sounds like it's really exciting. We had lots of questions. I know this is a good sign or not. We've answered a lot of them in the podcast. Oh, good. Okay, had, well done. We had well one. That you are good. professional, actually, guys. Well done. <laughs> it's actually where we got all our questions <laughs> yeah, from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice, uh, nice. We've got two that I want to ask, though. There was one off a guy called John Cook who was saying that... Um, the John Cook? The John Cook. <laughs> saying, how? what's the thing that you see most with amateurs playing when you play in pro arms you play with an amateur what's the biggest thing you see them doing wrong that you could get kind of the most holistic piece of advice for that people listening to this podcast or watching i think two th- two things generally for amateurs at the golf course one is expectation <laughs> that starts wrong most of the time like they're going to go out and have a good round i think let's just have a fair round like have a fair expectation like back to that preparation stuff like if you've been in the office for the last seven days don't get your hopes up too high that you're going to hit every fairway and green out here. <laughs> have a fair game. Have a fair oh, game. Oh, nice. Yeah. You are, he's a super, <laughs> super pro. A Hang on. deal on the podcast. Yeah. So if you buy shares in uh, Rick's Quick Six, yeah. I'll buy Look shares at this. in it's Fair Game. It's going to be Rick's Quick Six by Fair Game. Love it. No, yeah. And uh, so I think expectation is a big thing. You know, like, really, let's, let's go out there and give yourself a chance. Um, but... The other thing I see, like more from actually doing it, is everyone under clubs. Yeah, it's you know, so just common. like take, you think it's a seven, just take a six and just swing the same, and I think it'll work out nicely for a lot of people. Yeah, if you looked at stats for greens missed by amateur golfers, it's short. Oh, for short sure. and right. Yeah, but for mainly sure. short yeah. a lot of the time. Next question. I feel like the answer will just be because it works, but a lot of people have been asking, why do you use a broom handle putter? Yeah. Um, the simple answer is because it works, but <laughs> the long story is, you know, I was a really streaky putter. I was, I was either really good or really poor. And it just, after however many years, it was just like too, too frustrating, too much hard work, like making the rest of the game hard. And, um, uh, Brad Malone, my coach kind of dangled it in front of me at home. I had a little like fake green in the backyard at home in Australia and he brought, he went down to the golf shop and bought one like went out and putt with it and of course i'm like oh yeah what's that what you got there you know next minute i'm out there rocking the shoulders with it and uh 
yeah, it was just like a fresh start for it. You know, I was just 10 years in to, tr- you know, had tried everything, some success, a lot of a lot of frustration, and it was a real fresh start for me. And it's, and it's generally been really solid. Actually, I'd say since I went back to it when after the anchor ban and I cut the putter shorter and it's kind of floating, let's say now, I think it's better than anchored. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's it's freed up all putts, but certainly longer putts are yeah. better. I, but I guess anchoring is hard on long putts. Yeah, it can get in the way a bit. Mm. I mean, it was really long. You know, the old one was like 49 inches. I mean, it's a long, long club, and this is now down to 45, so it's like a driver. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got a little bit into, like, the science and research of the putt. You know, MOI has been a big thing in putting for 10 or 12 years, let's say. Yeah. When the head size gets big, it gets really stable and I've looked into that. So, you know, it's been slow development like with a broomstick because no one really makes many of them or sells many of them. So it's not like a hot thing for Scotty Cameron to knock broomsticks up. But, you know, I did have a lot of support from them and I pushed them hard to like try stuff and and get me to a point where I felt like I've got a really, really good putter. And the last couple of years, like I said, since it's been not anchored, I mean, my stats are probably consistently the best in my career. So I feel like I'm in a real good spot with it. Perfect. Makes sense. Good answer. Yeah. Cool. More questions? That pretty much it? We've covered, covered a lot there. There's a lot on the jumper as well, but Rick covered that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad I didn't wear the beige one today. I mean, it's, it's in the same family. Are we kind of? Uh, we can, we can, change, we can change the colour. We're going to we mustard. Change the yeah, yeah. Um, we're teeing off in 10 minutes. Right. That's perfect. So we're best are you loose? <laughs> oh, uh, loose I'll ever be. Yeah. We're going to do a challenge. I'm going to start ten on the par. You're going to be level par. Sounds we're playing fair. Kings Barnes. We're playing off the backs. Oh, we better be. Yeah. yeah. The back. Well, you are. Just, <laughs> just before this ends, I've got one little apology to make to Adam. I've not told you this story. Yet. I want to say it for the podcast. Um, as a child, I was up eleven or twelve, maybe even yeah, eleven or twelve. Um, at Wentworth PGA. So it was. I think it was Volvo. Actually, it was a time. It was the Volvo okay. PGA. You gave me a golf ball as a little fan. There you gave go. me a golf ball. And it was either the professional 90 or the first year of Pro V1. We right. set it on at the side. Yeah. Th- 392. Pro yeah. I kept it at home, obviously, as a gift from Adam Scott. And then one day I decided to use it. The golf club and lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me for another golf ball? Yes, yes, yes I absolutely am. <laughs> well, I've got one of them old Pro V 2015 yeah, ones please. for you. Adam's like Oh yeah, you were the lad in the, uh, the the black jumper, weren't yeah. you, on the side oh, of fourteen? You. I remember you. <laughs> you didn't. I didn't give it you. You nicked it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where that ball went. Well, thank you, Adam, for your time. You've been amazing. Yeah, Honestly, it's been great diving into no worries, like, yeah. the, the the history and also what's to come in the future. Um, I'm excited to play with you because, like I say, your golf swing's ridiculous, and I might have to do what you did to Tiger. <laughs> I'm gonna have to turn around today, and yeah. when you hit, just go. It sounded all right, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think you'll intimidate me. But we'll no. go. We'll go and find out. The it's video's going to come out soon. Good luck in the open this week. Yes, uh, we really are much. rooting for you. I'm sure all the fans, everyone listening and watching, will be rooting for you as well. Good luck with the app, um, and uh, we'll get on the golf course. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thanks, guys, Thanks so much. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.